So, <laughs> hi guys, we're here today with Ed and Rory and myself, Ehi and Catherine, and we're just going to be talking about preservation planning for research managers. Research data managers, yes. Hello, my name's Ed Pinsent, digital archivist. And I'm Rory McNichol. Um, yeah, you're an expert yeah. in repositories, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. repositories, yeah. yes. Research yes. technologies. Research technologies, generally, yes. Cool, so should we just yeah. jump into the questions? Yeah, sure, um, I'll plan the course. So, just starting off pretty high level, mm-hmm. what is research data management? How would you define it? <laughs> it's, it's in a growing area, it's a very, very interesting thing. Universities increasingly are producing more and more data in digital format, and for a long time now they've recognised that there's a need to manage the process from start to finish. It has to be accessible, it has to be catalogued, has to be made available to people at the right time, has to be stored in appropriate formats, has to be managed through appropriate technology. And one way this has gone, one of the things that has sprung up in recent years uh, is the institutional repository. And that's been around for a good while now, hasn't it, Rory? The institutional yeah. repository is a thing. Repository, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, traditionally for yes. open access publications, yes. um, but as a, a way to manage um, files, metadata, and access to them, it's um, it's sort of been turned to the open data agenda as well. Absolutely. So it uh, that institutional repository software it's a system it's a thing the university has to buy into make a big commitment to and it's proven very very useful as one of the components of managing um, research data the outputs the publications that arise from research yeah. i think it's fair to yeah. say that the research data management is, yeah. is a much broader thing than just that spun tool it is in, yes in the armory of the research data manager yeah. who has to do all sorts of um, tasks around uh, advocacy and things like that and actually sort of um, around um, spreading the, the good word of, of, of good data husbandry um, so that, so that um, yeah so that the institutions don't get it in the neck for not looking after their data properly which is becoming a very important thing well this is another strong driver which I hope we're going to get to in the day but um, there's also the matter of Grants, isn't there? You've got to manage research grants as well. Yeah. That's another big, big part of the research data manager's job. Again, there's another piece of IT, like like Orchid, isn't that a system that does this? It's sort of, is it Orchid or is it something else? I'm thinking of. It's a thing that manages a grant from its start to its finish. Not Orchid. No, it's not. Is it? It's a yeah. researcher. Yeah, yeah. It is, isn't it? Framework. Um, I can't think we were thinking of it. There, there is. There is, isn't there? Yeah, yes, but it's a particular is. tool that's been very popular. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, Cut you get the idea. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a lot to it. You know, there's a lot of stakeholders. There's researchers. Their needs have to be met. There's a university's reputation to protect. There's the data itself needs to be organised. It, it's, uh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's a really complex job. So you touched on it a little bit before just now, mm-hmm. but what would you say the role of a research data manager usually entails? Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably quite broad, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, it's quite broad. Yeah, I'm just thinking of all the research data managers that I know. Which I could have asked them. Yeah, yes. exactly what they do. But generally, they um, have a responsibility for first of first of all, um, in many institutions, doing advocacy for the for 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 um, 
the correct way to uh, keep and describe data and the importance of um, giving that over to the institution um, for them to care for uh, longer term. Um, and as mentioned, there are um, this starts early on in the research process, right at the at the sort of grant application time, because in in lots of grant applications now, there will be uh, questions about how much data, the kind of data, and how you're going to make it accessible, and that's become the responsibility um, of the research data manager uh, for the institution to answer those questions when a researcher. Want some funding, and um, they they're asked how you make this successful in ten years' time. They'll probably turn to their research data manager, and they need to have some answers for them. So that's a big part of what they do. I can't really add much to that. I mean, the thing I want to stress is that this course that we're talking about does not teach you how to be a research data manager, and that's mm. not our intention at all. We're just trying to plug one particular gap. And that is digital preservation. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, that's why I'm not an expert in what a research data manager does. No. Mm-hmm. No. Um, so um, I've got questions in front of me. So I'm asking the next question. Mm-hmm. And yes. I've got oh, yeah. for it. oh yeah. We've got that one. <laughs> yes. So now that we've just talked a little bit about what they do, can you just talk about why long-term preservation is useful for research okay. data managers? Certainly. So um, your research data manager um, will. Um, so, in terms of the reason that an institution needs to look after um, their data, there's a few reasons. That, um, it's basically, good uh, research, scientific and, and other research practice to um, make any work that you do um, repeatable um, and to be, uh, be transparent about how you reached your conclusions. Um, and that has actually, uh, that idea of open data has sort of um, manifested itself as actual concrete mandates that have come from the funders. So the people with the purse strings are saying, we require that the data you collect in the process of the research that we're going to be funding um, is, um, is made, uh, is properly described, is um, made accessible to the general public where possible um, and is done so for a period of time um, and that period of time um, it can be uh, in some cases 10 years 10 years um, since last access so there's potentially a rolling amount of time so it could be a very long term thing that's where digital preservation comes in because that's what digital preservation is all about is um, allowing people to access and, and use, importantly, data uh, a long time after it was created. What I would add to that is that uh, increasingly that requirement is, is now turning into something even stronger to the extent that it's possible, I think, for some grant-giving bodies to say that unless you prove you're doing preservation, we're not going to give you more money in the future. And so you've got to have some kind of demonstrable preservation plan in place, or your uh, your research grants may be in jeopardy. Yeah, and I think that's uh, you know, yeah. run refuse if you don't have a good preservation plan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's 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 a national requirement now. It's it's a, and it's it's not just coming from us saying it's a good idea to keep every for a long time. It's actually uh, and saying that's not yes. the only reason for yeah. for um, doing mm-hmm. digital preservation as well. I mean, it's just you can 
principle stand and said it's mm-hmm. not, I'm not doing this just for the money, but actually for um, for reasons of open data and open science and mm-hmm. basically a good practice in research and allowing the work that you do to be properly uh, examined by other researchers. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you can take you can take take it either way. <laughs> I do like the thing Rory touched on there about as well that. Um, Research has to be verifiable and you know, any kind of scientific experiment you undertake, it should be reproducible by another scientist, not just now, but five years from now or 20 years from now. And you ought to do everything you can with your work to enable that this, uh, to make sure that this is the case. And it sounds simple, but it's actually really complicated mm-hmm. to do that, particularly when you're talking about scientific data sets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I think that sort of lends to the next question a little bit as well, is why is planning so important? I think we've touched on some point here as well, but you might have more to add. It's in order to forestall these kinds of problems is why you would plan, and it's really difficult. You have to anticipate to some degree what you think future use is going to be. Um, I give it, yes, very difficult. But, very difficult. I mean, yes, you can yes. have an idea if you have yeah. that. If you know what instruments you're going to be using in your experiment and you know how much data you're going to be collecting, you can sort of do some uh, back-of-the-envelope um, sums and, and say, we think we're going to need this much capacity. Um, that's that, At least that sort of planning is important um, and probably further, especially if the institution has a responsibility to look after this stuff. They want to know how much they need to spend on their IT budget over mm-hmm. the next... 10 years to make sure that they can, they, they want a, 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 an institution-wide picture, for instance, of the volume of research yeah. data. Um, which is a difficult question to ask a researcher when they've just, maybe they've started off with a growth application and a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it, it's becoming quite common. I'll give you an example uh, here, anecdotally. Uh, this is something I heard at the Pericles conference um, just last month. And they had a particular experiment which they wished to reproduce and they tried it on the exact same version of the exact same application and they got completely different answers from the original experiment and it wasn't particularly old and they they couldn't figure out what had gone wrong. And the bit that's updated was the operating system. Apparently the application behaved slightly differently in this new operating system than it did in the old operating system. Mm -hmm. Now that's just the kind of thing. And with a bit of planning, you can at least be aware that this is something that is going to take place. Yeah. So to translate that into action, which uh, I, I, I would tend to advocate when we're giving this course, it's that uh, a researcher and a research data manager ought to do everything they can to document the work as much as possible. Yeah. And that would start with assessing the environment. Yes. Okay, And they can say, well, you know, when, when we... When we ran this experiment, it worked with this software in that operating system on this machine. All of those are three very important variables, which, uh, uh, as we've seen, you know, yeah. um, a description of context is really important. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I was talking yes. about volume earlier, but I mean that you can collect terabytes of data for an experiment, mm-hmm. but if you haven't properly described the environment and the context in which you ran that experiment then you've just kept terabytes of data for no reason. Yeah. So that's uh, as as important as the actual data itself is, is describing that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what so yeah. data managers understand um, and the, 
these things that might not be immediately important to the researcher at the time, they need to they need to help them understand why that is so vital that they tell everyone exactly what version of, of every single bit of software they use is, which can be a bit of a Exactly. Bit of a Again, that's another preparation thing, you know, there's a bit of yeah. consciousness raising amongst the researchers who sometimes take a view of it, well, you know, isn't it enough that I do the work? <laughs> isn't it enough that I'm doing this wonderful work? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it helps them. Um, yeah. Promote sort of good, good yes, practice, practice yes. use of software and stuff like that. Yeah. Being aware of the version you're using, not just grabbing stuff without thinking about it. Some institutions, for instance, will have uh, keep a, a registry of software to use, mm -hmm. it, so that they can actually track exactly what. So it's less of an onus on the researcher to um, to understand everything about the software they're using. Just that they you know they they use the institutions for <coughs> someone else's. So. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The other bit where planning comes in is to do with financing digital preservation. As this is a, a very difficult square that needs circling or circle that needs squaring. It's um <coughs> I think a lot of institutions are um, they can't see how they're gonna fund long term preservation. Mm. And ideally it ought to be one of the first considerations. It never ever is. And you know, I don't know how to get around that particular obstacle, mm. but I think gradually people are beginning to realise that, um, I don't know, they need to build in a certain amount of the money which they thought was going to go to the researcher has to be set aside for its preservation. Yeah. And of course that's never popular. And you have to try and sell that to the bursars and to yeah. the finance people and to the researchers themselves. But, um, and they would say, oh, that's money if it's being diverted from my work. I mean, in theory, the funders are ready yeah. to pay for it if you make a good case for it, because they, they are they are giving it, yes. in theory, I don't know how it works in practice, because I'm not a researcher mm. myself. Yes. But, um, I mean, yeah, it's it's a very difficult question that the, the, the institution is being asked. Is, is it, you, need to, you need to keep hold of this stuff, for instance, for an indiscriminate, uh, indeterminate, sorry, amount of time. Um, which is quite a difficult thing to work out a, a, a sustainable business plan for. Um, yeah, yeah, it, and it's new as well. Yeah. It's a new requirement. Yeah, it's, it's slowly becoming assimilated, I think. Mm. But yes. Cool. So I think you touched on this one as well in the last question a little bit. But would you say the understanding for the need of long-term preservation is becoming more widespread, or is it still sort of thing that there's? No, I think it is growing all the time. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know it's. Uh, uh, one most visible um, proof of this is the, the JISC themselves, the Joint Information Systems Committee, or whatever they're called. The JISC. The JISC, aren't they? It doesn't sound for anything anymore. It does call the JISC. <coughs> but uh, they, are, uh, they are funding and directing a very serious uh, programme of work, um, advocating methods, advocating planning, advocating systems to use. They need to try and develop platforms. And trying to develop platforms that everybody can work with. And they are funding large tranches of work mm -hmm. uh, and inviting bids on those pieces of work. You know, so they recognise that there is a, a vast amount of work to be done. Mm -hmm. and Taking a national yes, sort of view on it. National, well. that's it, exactly, national view. And it's, it's one of the more serious programmes I've seen from this institution. They, uh, you know, it seems to be integrated. It seems to be uh, quite different from the GISC I knew of, say, 10 years ago. Where they were just <laughs> but anyway, I better not to go down that route. <laughs> uh, it is, it's, um, it's, it's looking good, isn't it, Rory? It's, uh, 
it's an encouraging landscape, and I think at the end of it, uh, <laughs> um, uh, I mean, even if, if people just uh, bid for the, the tenders, or at least are aware that this bidding process is going on, they will see that uh, you know, they, they need to understand and engage with the problem of long-term preservation. Mm. Okay. So it's getting more widely understood, yeah. <coughs> if you were to outline sort of three key aspects of to include in a sort of RDM plan, what would you say they are? It doesn't have to be three, it could be one or two. Yeah, well, I've got three, yeah, yeah. Um, assess the data, do early interventions, and integrate preservation with the plan. So by assess your data, it's what we've talked about already. You know, you try and survey the entire environment, try and understand what formats your content is being saved in, open up a dialogue with your researchers, your IT people, and everybody who's a stakeholder in the whole thing. But, you know, uh, you need to get as much information as possible. And um, last time I looked at this with Southampton, I um, they, they had a very, very... Um, basic kind of elemental survey form where people would just fill in what type of file formats they thought they had on their desktop uh, to me that's not enough you know you've really got to dig deeply into like i say the entire it environment to get a proper handle on stuff early interventions can't stress that enough um, quite often people have waited until the project ends and think that then we'll start thinking about preservation you know i say you know, preservation has to begin as soon as the funding application is being filled in i think it has to be built into the process at the beginning mm -hmm. and i think uh, everybody has to understand they have a role to play in the success of the plan and the other thing is that there's already an RDM plan in place. I mean, it so happens that has preceded most thinking about preservation. And it's uh, numerous models have evolved. There's many of them, life cycle models, circular models, linear models. They all come to the same thing or they get to a similar area. They're trying to advise the research data manager about what needs to happen when, because it's going to be taking place over a long period of time. There's a lot at stake. They have to have a, a, a plan of action at which they're going to work to. What I would uh, say, what we try and teach on this course, is that there's many opportunities on this plan, if you see it as a map, where you can insert uh, an opportunity for preservation. So those are my three. Yeah. Beat that, <laughs> Rory. <laughs> I'm not doing it. No, no, you can't. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with it. Um, <laughs> it's... I mean, I would say that the early intervention stuff is, is possibly helped by the fact that now, with a lot of research applications, um, you're actually required to present a preservation, a digital preservation plan. Oh, is that right? So at application stage, yeah, you have to say yeah, what your preservation plan is. Yeah. There you go. Um, and so, and, and then, yeah, just really thinking about the RDM strategy on... Uh, um, an institution or institutional buy-in, so it needs to be, there's obviously there's sort of national things going on, but the, the institution has to be behind the research data manager and, and um, because it can, it's something that needs sort of a strategic basis and uh, that will allow the proper resources of all the things that are required. So when, when they have to demonstrate that they've got a preservation plan at application stage, Rory, how, how, what kind of proof do they offer? What, um, what evidence base is given or, or do they just say... So you need a, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the proper word for it, the data management plan. Yeah. 
and there are tools out there to help you to, to help you um, that allow you to access templates for these. In fact, have you, ever, you must have had a DLP online. Yes, of course. Yes, yes. But there's templates. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah yes. Yes. It's a web sharing sort yeah. of. Um, but if I was a research data manager, I mean, what what evidence would I need to produce that I've got a preservation plan in place? Um, I think you need a, a, a bit of paper that's got your preservation plan. Oh, right, just as simple as that. Yes, yes, <laughs> I think okay, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. filled in template. Like yes, yes. Okay. Um, yes, that sounds yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a process I've personally been through, but from what yes, I understand, yes. it's, yeah. um, it's quite demanding. Yeah, yes, yes. I mean, it's you will be required to, along with your grant application, part of that is a, there's a section on the data management plan, and I want to know how much data you're producing and what you intend to do with it, yep. how you how you are able to um, retain accessibility for whatever the whatever the time period the funders are asking for and really the, the data manager for an institution is the one who has to let the researchers know how to answer those questions or answer them for them or how, how the institution chooses to do it um, but yeah so they're, they're the ones who they come to like, down to understanding uh, the digital preservation aspects of that and um, being able to advocate to researchers who are maybe asking why well, that might be made to think about this now. Um, yeah, it's funny, we keep coming back to that, don't we? We kind of assume the research is going to be, might, gonna yeah, be touchy. Some of, them are, some of them are very uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> accommodating. Of course, uh, yes, I'm, yes. I'm, sure, yeah. I'm sure most of them are. Yeah, yes. and, um, and it's interesting that someone did quote something at me because... Uh, whether I'm talking about this a lot, um, maybe because I talk more to uh, repository managers and um, research officers and things like that, uh, it seems to me everyone's worried about mandating criteria and stuff like that. But actually, the researchers themselves, on principle, want to do this well, mm. um, and and that's much that's much more pure sort of uh, aspiration rather than just they're doing it to get the money they actually want to do it because it's the right thing to do as well yeah. because it, it, it makes their, um, the work that they do much more robust and long lasting and it's generally good uh, doesn't uh, doesn't waste effort because um, their stuff can be their stuff they're, 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 it's yeah. more than their stuff, isn't it? I mean, I think yeah, it can be reused. Uh, so I think it's Carol Doble who I heard speaking on this some time ago, and she just said, "It's reputation. You know, what's at stake is that yeah. you know, if I cannot prove that my research is valid, then my reputation is is weakened, mm. and that's one of the vulnerabilities which mm. uh, preservation can address." Yes. Mm. Just to ask the uh, oh, yeah. UEA climate. <laughs> climate oh, don't bring up the UEA. No, no, no. Don't bring that one up. <laughs> No, that was a, yes, a terrible, terrible business. Nothing to do with us. No, it yes. <laughs> so, are there any specific tools or software packages which are required for preservation? It's probably quite a lot, but... Um, so, I, there's nothing... Um, it, it's, it's, very, it's not quite as simple as tools that are required. You probably will find it useful to... to use uh, platforms mm. to keep track of this stuff. Um, I mean, in theory, you could do your research data management with a spreadsheet. If you're in a very small institution, there's no shame in that. It might be fine to be able to do that and keep track of it all um, on bits of paper. But obviously, 
because of the, the, the larger the institution, the more research that's done there, uh, the longer these records have to last for, um, then the sorts of platforms that uh, allow you to record um, data in a standard way, uh, data and metadata obviously, um, become really essential. Um, Imperial College have taken an interest in because lots of institutions go out and purchase a, a platform that will, that will meet, or, or a set of platforms that will meet all their needs around this. Imperial have basically they've got a very good research data manager, um, and and he did some thinking about this and came to the conclusion that we don't need to purchase anything. There's enough stuff out there. We just need to help our researchers understand how to use it. Um, so they use third-party applications that in a lot of cases are free to use. So it's a very mm -hmm. big research institution, really, really big one. Um, and they said, well, we don't need a, a to keep all this stuff here. But here's what you have to do to make sure that we uh, meet the re requirements for um, funder mandates and for open data in general. I'd agree with all of that. You see, and I think um, if a salesman came along offering to say, yeah, here's one package that would solve all of your data preservation problems, I'd be very, very sceptical. But of course, people want a nice shortcut and something that yeah. looks easy to sign up to. Um, I think most people you speak to in this area would say there's so many other things we need to get right first. Workflows, procedures, documentation and metadata, for instance. And there's no one single cure or simple package that does it. Um, in terms of IT, I mean, one of the first headaches that comes along really is storage. You know, is, is, is can we procure, purchase, manage enough storage to meet our needs, not only for its immediate management, but its long-term preservation and storage as well? Because quite often that, that quantity and type of storage is very much above and beyond what an average IT manager is used to providing. It's, it's an extra requirement and uh, it's, that is never popular with the, the finance people because then they say, you know, well, look, we've got a perfectly good infrastructure in place and you come along and say, well, actually we need, we need terabytes, petabytes of space yeah. and it has to be configured in a very particular way mm -hmm. to meet preservation needs. And um, you can see that goes down like a lead balloon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, well, yeah. Storage, yeah. Yeah, it's, yes. it's lots of the idea of uh, making something manageable and financially, uh, yeah, then flexibility is a good thing. Um, however, you, that sometimes rubs up against um, the sort of jurisdiction uh, requirements that preservation, data preservation. Well, quite. And you're thinking now about cloud storage, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, yeah. precisely. So you, you, yes. Might, you might find a nice, uh, mm -hmm. the IT manager might say, well, there's lots of data, we've got a nice. Uh, Flexible um, cloud solution for you. However, the fund the, the, the fund mandate might, might say that you you have to keep the data within the jurisdiction. That that nice cheap cloud solution is actually keeping your stuff in data centres in, in the other side of the world. And mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, there'll be specific examples as well. Because if the research data is involved, for instance, um, confidential surveys with say. Uh, you know, criminals or something like that to gather some interesting statistics about what it's like to be in jail or something. Uh, if that data got into the wrong hands, the university would be totally in breach of the Data Protection Act. Mm -hmm. And simply storing that data in another part of the world on a cloud server is yeah, absolutely extremely risky. You know, and uh, 
that's where you, you know the person who organises and joins all this up, they have to know the content. You know, they have to be aware of what it is. It's not just bits and bytes. So uh, those are those are the kind of um, scenarios that spring to mind. So storage is definitely a challenge when it comes to long-term accessibility. Would you say there are any other key challenges? Um, well, the stuff that Ed touched on around um, if you want to make um, the data useful for reproduction of um, experiments, then uh, sort of the sustainability of the software used is is quite a quite a challenge. Um, there's a there's a there's a great organisation called the Software Sustainability Institute. Mm-hmm. I think about only this. Um, um, and they're a great resource for um, for people who are thinking of using a piece of software. Um, but um, yeah, that's that be uh, another another super big challenge. Um, I think a big challenge is the the, the lack of descriptive metadata uh, of any kind, or technical metadata, or any sort of metadata, would help us interpret what this data means. Um, and again, it's an area where sometimes the, the, the researchers are reluctant to get engaged with the whole business of, um, you know, and it's not just cataloguing, it, there's a lot more to it. They might, yes, that's that too, yes, mind. exactly. So, it's another challenge, I mean. Keeping that and yes. is that properly versioned and yep. all that sort of stuff and yep. would it ever run again? <laughs> yes, I know mean, there's... Yes. Some institutions would like to take the line that you know they must vet every piece of software that, that, that is being used. You know we can't have any any of these rogue applications floating around yeah. for this reason, which I think is reasonable. Yeah, they have a, yes, yes. a sort of yep. a research yep. a research software unit at UCL, yep. don't they? Yep. Your job yeah, it is yes. to actually work with researchers um, to produce yeah. software with them in the right way. Make sure you pick the right stuff, yes. Yeah, yeah pick it. Tip find it and let them know if there's something out there that does what they want to do. If not, and they'll help them create something that, that is created, properly documented, and, and uh, yeah. apparently that's what it says. In yeah, the, yeah, yeah that's the job they're doing, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and another challenge I can think of as well is if the experiment involved live data in some way when it was still running, because um, that's one of the most vulnerable parts of any experiment, I suppose. Um, if you base the decision, say, on what the, the stock exchange was doing yesterday, I mean, that is just you cannot reproduce those circumstances ever again. Unless you collect uh, the data from the stock exchange. Unless you collect exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think the, uh, the Large Hadron Collider hmm. throws away something like 80% of the data it gets. 80%? Immediately. Yeah, immediately, because yes. Because it's impossible yes, yeah, yeah. to, some, some large percentage anyway, mm-hmm. but it's actually before it even gets onto uh, in it sort of it throws it away at the electronic level so before it even gets onto um, any kind of storage it doesn't even yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. even right. sort of memory at all right it's like they, they sort of know what they're after so yeah. they can discount quite a lot of stuff yeah. and that's uh, yeah. yeah that takes a few terabytes a day or something like that I can't remember how much but um, so yeah so knowing what to keep is yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what it comes down to, this knowing what to keep thing. And I think this is where preservation does have a part to play, you know, because I think the, the, the skills of selection and appraisal, which we associate with archival um, archival work, uh, you know, can have a part to play, I would like to think. 
So to sum up, those are the uh, kind of things we're trying to teach on our course in terms of planning and planning and more planning. It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, all of these pitfalls to be aware of. Um, I wish we could say at the end of this one day course that you, you'll, you'll know how to do digital preservation, okay. but it's, it simply isn't possible. Mm. Maybe ask the right questions. Yes, <laughs> yeah, start to know to ask the right questions, yes, exactly. And actions can be taken. So that course uh, is open now for booking and it will be taking place on the 31st of January this year. And booking is at cosector.com, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah perfect. Cool. Thanks for your time. Okay, you're welcome. Thanks Thank for you. coming in, Rory. Thanks. No problems. Right. Better to help out. Right. Bye.